It's Tim Pachote coming live from North Scottsdale, Arizona on this beautiful May 8th, Monday, May 8th day. What I wanted to talk about today was Macron, or I'm not sure how that's pronounced, Macron, Emmanuel Macron and his Rothschild uh, banking ties. Because right now Macron is being heralded as, you know, it's almost like he's the new Obama. You've got this guy who, you know, essentially, you know, very young, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. I think he's like eight years older than me. And now he's the youngest French president ever. And everyone's, you know, holding him up on this pedestal of like, we've got all this hope and you know, energy invested into this young guy. And he's really going to represent a change. But what I really want to talk about is, you know, how he is a Rothschild agent. And you, you don't even have to... Uh, scratch below the surface very far. It's like you, you, know, you dust it off and then you begin seeing all these massive, massive establishment ties. So what I wanted to do today was give an overview of the Rothschild banking dynasty going all the way back to the Napoleonic Wars and then through today and give a little uh, brief explanation of it, what it is. So I did write down on a piece of paper little, little, some little bullet points, but this is all knowledge that I've had for probably the past you know, maybe seven years ago when I read Creature from Jekyll Island. So at the end of this talk, if anyone wants to hear more uh, or really wants to get a more in-depth view of all this stuff, you can head over to uh, G. Edward Griffin's book over on uh, Amazon. It's called Creature from Jekyll Island. But really the premise of the Rothschild banking dynasty, you've got to go back to uh, the Napoleonic Wars. So and if you back up a little bit further, you had the Bauer family, and the Bauer family were goldsmiths. They were money changers. They were working with the average everyday retail retail person. So sort of like if you go to Bank of America, you being you know the average, or myself being the average retail client, that's what they were concerned with. Well, eventually they met up with the Oppenheimer family, who convinced them and said, you know, instead of lending money to every you know Tom, Dick, and Harry. Why don't you lend money to governments? Because it's much more profitable to lend money to governments. So then what happened was, uh, again, kind of the cliff notes on this. So then what happened was uh, you've got this war going on, Napoleonic Wars, and there was a German prince who had uh, given the Rothschilds family. And actually, again, it was the Bauer family, but they had a red shield on their door. Red shield in German, Rothschild, which then became Rothschild uh, once it become once it got into like the folklore. So that's how. So Bauer was the real name. Rothschild wasn't even wasn't even the real name. But anyways, that's what they go by today. So the Rothschild family got uh, a bunch of money from a German prince. They were then going to supposed to invest invest that money into English bonds. They ended up never investing the money into the English bonds because they knew. They were getting word through different carrier pigeons, believe it or not, that, uh, and all this sounds crazy, but you can go look it up. So they got wind of the fact that, uh, what's his name, uh, Napoleon uh, had lost. But they spread a rumor saying Napoleon had won. It took the British stock market, almost brought it down to like just about nothing, sort of like a 2007, 2008 type environment here. And then, but meanwhile, they were sitting with all this money that they had from the German prince. They took it, invested it into uh, the, the British stock market. Then once everybody found out that Napoleon had actually lost, then it sent the value of those shares through the roof and they basically owned everything. Now they ended up giving the money back to the German prince, uh, what he should have been owed, plus interest. But they didn't care about that because they had, they had all the money. They, had, they controlled almost the entire British stock market. So then they essentially got in cahoots with the uh, the British royal family helped start to create the Bank of England. And then Mayor Nathan Rothschild then sent his sons around to all the other parts of, of Europe, or the, the five most prestigious parts. So you had, uh, you know, Frankfurt, Paris, Vienna. I've got it written down here somewhere, I think. 
Um, you know, I had in my other, you know, there was the five, I can't, maybe I'll Nick look it up, but then you got the five biggest banking centers possible that he sent his sons over to. And then that's really is what led to the, what's the Rothschild banking today. Now, if you fast forward to America, when we were setting up our first central bank, it was called the first central bank of America. And you had on one side, you had Alexander Hamilton. On the other side, you had, uh, you know, uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, guys who warned that, you know, if we ever allow private central banks to issue the currency and credit, uh, we're going to end up homeless on the continent our forefathers conquered. That's a quote from Thomas Jefferson. So you had all of these people, uh, you know, famous people who were against central banking because they knew there was all this big crony, uh, crony scheme. But what ended up happening is the Alexander Hamilton fashion faction ended up winning out. We got a central bank of America. It was actually openly owned by the British, which why, which is when its charter ran out in the year 1812. You may have remembered that uh, the British came here and burned down the White House. It was because they were pissed that they didn't care that America had succeeded because they controlled the money supply, which is why Mayor Nathan Rothschild said, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, I care not who makes the country's laws. I only care about who controls the money, and I control the money. So, so basically it was like this high-tech slavery where they were extracting resources from our country while everybody thought that they were free. Now, fast forward to... Andrew Jackson, we had the second Central Bank of America, and he said, you know, you, by eternal God, I shall route you out because you are a den of vipers, uh, something like that. And he ended up getting rid of the second Central Bank of America. The Central Bank president at the time was named Nicholas Biddle, and, uh, and he did everything he could through, I guess, what you'd call fake news of the day and blamed all their – he would contract the money supply. He was doing things with raising interest rates, uh, calling in the entire money supply, and that way he would try to blame all the economic malaise on Andrew Jackson and not on the fact that the central bank at the time was manipulating the dollars. Then we had a very long time without any central banking in America, and it was very prosperous, even though we had a civil war in between all there. And then you have guys actually like Lincoln who said – that, uh, I'm trying to think of his quote, you know, I've got the army in front of me, that's the South, and I have an army of European bankers at my rear, and I far more fear the army at my rear. Uh, and so there you go. Uh, then if you fast forward to uh, 1907, we had the panic of 1907. J.P. Morgan had to personally go in, backstop all of the, uh, all of the loans. He didn't want that to happen. So essentially you had then the six richest guys in the world all get together down on J.P. Morgan's private island uh, off the coast of Georgia called Jekyll Island, Georgia. And over there, they basically hatched the, hatched the plan to have this Federal Reserve System. And it gets a lot deeper than that. I mean, it's like there's like an 800-page book, so I'm just giving the, the extreme cliff notes of this, and I read it a long time ago. But, uh, you know, ever since then, you know, essentially we've been underneath central bank control where the main problem is if we issue $1 of um, – you know, the very first dollar that was created in 1913 had interest on it. So if you create a dollar and then you owe back a dollar four, well, then after one year, well, how do you ever pay back a dollar four with a dollar? Well, then you've got to borrow more money. So right from day one, this creates a situation where you can never pay off the debt. It can never be paid off. And we're essentially high-tech slaves. And this isn't even getting into if you count uh, fractional reserve banking, if you count uh, you know, the derivatives, all these, all this other crap that they come up with. It just makes the system even worse. So we are in this high-tech feudalism where, honestly, the people who are benefiting from it are people who are invested in stocks, 
people who are you know upper middle class upper class are going to be benefiting from this people who let's say manage people's money for a living like myself are going to benefit from this so i'm talking about things that in the short run will definitely negatively impact me but i also don't want to end up homeless on the continent my forefathers conquered which is why you know this is one of my big passions and so when i see a rothschild agent like macron you know uh you know, being heralded as, you know, he's the new, you know, like the new Obama, he's the new hope and change. It's just absolutely disgusting knowing the history of the Rothschild family banking. So at this point, you know, it's really anyone who, you know, anyone in France, at this point, they really get what they deserve, in my opinion. And, and where I see all this central banking getting very, very dangerous is that right now, you know, we see the stock market at all-time highs. We see all these unemployment rates very low. Uh, very soon you'll have a, a free ebook you can download on my site at the libertarianadvisor.com. Not right now. Hopefully it'll be within the next week or two where I've got a whole book called How It's Rigged. And actually there's a section of the website you guys can go to called How It's Rigged where it shows uh, the different economic data and how some of that is manipulated. Um, anyways, uh, let's see. This was, uh, this was last year's GDP, but you know, I, I do have a history of the money that we never taught. That was kind of what I just had mentioned right now. Uh, let's see, below that, we've got how the GDP is rigged, how the inflation rate is rigged, and then we've got to throw, we've got an unemployment one there as well. Uh, but where I'm going with all this stuff is that the money supply is being rigged big time, and the markets are being rigged, in my estimation. Is, and what this chart is, Nick, can we pan in on... Uh, pan in on this chart. What, it, what we see is different colors here is in blue we've got the Federal Reserve printing money, in red we've got the Bank of Japan, in black we've got the European Central Bank. And what happened was when the Fed stopped printing money in late 2014, it was right around, uh, I think it was right around uh, uh, Halloween, literally two days later the Bank of Japan started a massive, uh, expanded their program and what they're doing is they are actually uh, essentially taking money out of thin air, so they're just printing money out of thin air, and then they're actually buying up their stock market with it. So one of the largest owners, actually the largest owner of their version of like the S&P 500, the Nikkei 100, is actually the Bank of Japan. So this is actual fascism going on. So where's Antifa? Where's Antifa, you know, decrying that fascism? Because when you have the state being Japan buying up the corporations, that is the state and uh, you know, the public and private merger of which is the definition of fascism. And then almost as soon as the Fed stopped printing money and shortly after the Bank of Japan started expanding their program, in black we have the ECB, the European Central Bank, who started printing money. And so right now, supposedly we're being told everything is great, everything is fine, don't worry about anything. I think just today we had the lowest uh, VIX, that's the volatility index on the S&P 500. It was one of the lowest readings it's, it's had uh, actually in Nick's lifetime, almost in my lifetime, you've got the Federal Reserve raising rates with a GDP number of only 0.7. That hasn't even happened. In, that's the first time that's happened in my lifetime, uh, that week of a, of a GDP print to have a rate rise going into that. And this program is supposed to stop in, uh, in December. I think it was supposed to start tapering down uh, last month in, in April. So, you know, what's going to happen when the world isn't getting flooded with $200 billion of free money. And this isn't even counting, you've got the Swiss National Bank in there printing money that's not being reflected in here. You've got the Chinese Central Bank that's going in and printing all sorts of money. So you've got all this artificial things out there that are greatly manipulating what would be happening underneath a free market. 
And where, you know, and one thing I want to do is just, you know, let everybody know, but just give myself a shameless plug, is so I am a retirement planner, um, mainly trying to look at what's going on in the economy and with my client's life, seeing what their goals are, and then trying to help mitigate against a lot of these potential disasters. And one thing that I think is the biggest uh, upcoming disaster that can wipe people out, because there's so many different unknowns out there, whether or not, and I'll tell you, the people that know the least about what's going on is the Federal Reserve, is the ECB, is the Bank of England, you know, is the Bank of Japan. They're the most clueless about what's going on. They have no idea how we got here, but whether it results in a massive inflation or whether it even amounts in deflation, then inflation, whether it results in a market crash or whether this results in the market going, you know, straight up because all of a sudden now we're printing tons and tons of money. Like in uh, 1913 Germany, the stock market I think was like 126. And again, I'm not even doing this with any notes. This is just a couple of little bullet points. The stock market was about 126. Then in, uh, by 1923, it was close to 27 million. Now, most of that happened from like 1920 to 1923, and their market just went hyperbolic. You know, could that happen? Again, if that did happen, about 90 to 95% of Americans would be left behind. That's not going to be a very good uh, That's not going to be a very good result for them. But what I'm really scared about, uh, not for myself, but for uh, people that are close to retirement or close to needing to pull funds right now is something called sequence of return risk. And real quickly, what this means is, and this isn't even really a sales pitch as much as it's a lot of valuable information. What this means is uh, you've got two investors, investor A and investor B. And so let's suppose investor, investor A had three bad years starting off. Investor B had three bad years at the end. And again, these investors have the exact same returns except they're the mirror of one another. So it's the same average return, same everything. They're just the mirror of one another. And when, when you're accumulating funds, they would both end up with the exact same amount at the end because they hadn't taken any distributions. They're just taking, uh, they're just accumulating funds. Now, when you start throwing losses into the mix, let's say you go down 20%, you got to go up 25% just to get back to even. You go down 50, you've got to get back up to 100, blah, 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 blah. A lot of people already know that. Now, when you start throwing losses, when you start throwing distributions into the mix, the math changes immensely. So we're going, so we're taking a 4% withdrawal, market, the market goes down 20%, you've got to go get up, get up 42%, go up 42% over the next three years, just get back to even. If 2008 type environment occurs, uh, your S&P 500 goes down 50%, you're taking a 4% withdrawal rate, so you've got a million bucks, taking $40,000 a year to live off of, now you've got to go up 132% over the next three years, just to get back to even. So what it looks like going back to our first example, but now, assuming withdrawals. So again, they're both averaging 5.1%. They both have the same return. They're just mirrored. Uh, and what is what this looks like is investor A, after 10 years, would have $630,000, and investor B would have $1.074 million. Now again, they average the same return. And we're, I'm going to have this whole presentation up, uh, hopefully within the next two weeks, which, uh, which you guys will be able to go check that out. And then I'll also have a spot where I have different solutions to this because I want to differentiate that I'm not like a Peter Schiff or I'm not just picking out funds and being a fund manager. What I'm primarily doing is I'm taking a look at my clients' um, goals, what they're trying to accomplish, and then trying to figure out what's the best way for them to take on the least amount of risk, knowing everything that I know when it comes to all this central bank malfeasance that's going on. So I need to take a break to get a drink of water, but I'm sure Nick... He's got a few things that he wants to say, especially when it comes to um, Macron and some of the tweets that Hillary had out. But at the end of the day, it's just very disheartening to 
you know, know everything that we know about this uh, Rothschild puppet, which, you know, it's not even like alleged. I mean, this is a Bilderberg member who went there in, uh, I think, Copenhagen in 2014. And that's a whole nother can of worms what the Bilderberg is, which I'm not even sure if I've ever even gotten into Bilderberg with you yet. Yeah, yeah, you have not yet. Okay, I have not. So that's a treat. So now we've got Nick who's got, you know, he's got something to say, some, some thoughts on all this. Cool, yeah. So um, just a couple of my thoughts on this. Sorry, I was putting down the desk. So, um, you know, we saw Le Pen uh, get this 35%, um, you know, voter population that, that she got. If you actually look at the French elections, 26% of the voters abstained from voting. If you, thought, if you think, what, what would happen to America if 25% of the, the people didn't vote? You know, it's, that, that is it, itself a crazy statistic. Wait, are we at 25% here? In America? Uh, We're at like 40 we're at forty percent that abstained. Really? Holy! No, crap. I think we are at like forty. I think we're at like forty percent who didn't vote. Wow! Yeah. So, okay, so. Yeah. No. No. But still, crazy statistic. You know, all of these people live in the country. They should have a say in you know what 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 direction the the country is going to go. Um, if we look at the voters who voted for Le Pen, it was very similar to the people that voted for Trump. They were the metal workers, um, the coal miners, people that, that that do the down and rugged work. You know, the blue collar workers. Then we look at the people who, who voted for M Macron. Um, we, we kind of have those, those more inner city, uh, uh, not inner city, but uh, city workers, service um, jobs. So it's, it's a really interesting take to see who actually voted for Macron. Also, we can, we can look, Hillary and Obama both supported uh, Macron unlike anyone else. Obama sent out a video um, expressing his, his support for Macron. Hillary sent out a tweet saying that the world was saved uh, because, you know, he was elected, which... Do you feel safer now that I, the world's safer? I, I, I actually don't feel like the world is safer. I, I, I would have personally liked Le, uh, Le Pen to win because I felt like she was very honest. Um, and, and some of the things that, that were revealed about Le Pen being racist, um, you know, kind right of... Wing. A, yeah, yeah, kind of a snob, that, that's completely untrue. You know, her, her father actually started her own political party and... You know, started talking about how how the Nazis, uh, you know, they, there wasn't necessarily anything wrong with with what they did. Uh, she totally dismissed that that argument, and then you know continued to to remove her father out of the own political party that he started. Um, she's she she isn't racist. She isn't fascist. Anything like that. I actually think the 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 voter that 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 or you know Macron who won, he is embodies you know all of that much more he just puts on a, a better face and and you know makes it seem like also if we look at the macron leaks um you know france their their government did not allow any of those leaks to be push, uh, published on any media sources so i do think that the french uh people you know had a little skew or bias uh, if you looked at all all the newspapers whose face is on the front it's macron's it's not le pen ever um you know, it's it's really crazy to to see how the world's shaping. Ever since we had that that Brexit, uh, you know, there was kind of a mass outcry, a mass fear in the in uh, you know all of Europe. But to, to to be honest, I think now is now is an even more time to be fearful when when you have someone that is as prestigious as a banker. And from from what I've known about Rothschild and and about their their prestige as an investment bank. These are guys that shape you. They mold you. They, you know, they make your hobbies. They make your professional life. They show you how to be, you know, a Rothschild, uh, to be honest. And, you know, with that, I'm going to hand it uh, right back over to Tim.
Yeah, thanks, Dick. Yeah, and then you've got Macron, too, who went to, you know, one of the most establishment schools there is in France. And so now he's supposedly this, you know, outsider, insider guy. I'm just not buying it at all. And actually, the last thing I'm going to do talk about today is I forgot to give the real-world example of sequence of return risk because I think that this is definitely key. So what we can see here is this is uh, a source is Prudential and the 2015 Limer of Retirement Factbook. Somebody started off with half a million bucks. They were withdrawing 4.05%. They had 60% stocks, 40% bonds. And what would happen, the person that retired in April of 1970 after 30 years would have about a little over $2.5 million left. The person that retired just one year, one year before them, would have had a little over $500,000 left. And the person that retired just four months before that person would have ran out of money uh, after 29 years. So you see the huge dichotomy. And then it's you, probably impossible to read, but you see all the other dates in between there. Uh, so it's just crazy that you hear, like on CNBC, you know, or CNBS, as I like to call it, uh, you know, you're never going to talk about sequence of return risk. They're never going to talk about, you know, they, all they ever talk about is, you know, average return this, average return that, or this high-profile stock, or this high-profile stock. And, and they're never talking about this. And I see this as something that could potentially really devastate someone's portfolio. So one of the most key things you guys could do is if you went over to my website either at uh, thelibertarianadvisor.com or uh, go over to uh, focalpointwealth.com what we have here is a little uh, test called Riskalyze. It gives a it gives us an indication of how much risk you're willing to take on a scale of 0 to 99. It takes like five minutes for you guys to do. And then what you could do is you could send in your portfolio to uh, myself, Tim, at focalpointwealth.com, and I can have either myself or Nick or one of our other assistants then let you know actually how much risk is in your portfolio. So let's say, and then it also gives you a stress test. So a lot of people aren't familiar with the fact that a uh, S&P 500, big blue chip type company, is a 78 on the scale of risk of 0 to 100. A lot of people think that, oh, it's a big blue chip company. It's probably a risk of like a 20 or a 30. It's very important information. Literally takes probably five minutes to do, not even five minutes. You know, we're not the type of people who are going to hound people or, or, you know, harass you through emails. I've got a huge waiting list of people trying to do business with me. But this would be, you know, very valuable for anyone watching this to go over to libertarianadvisor.com or any of my blogs or articles, click on the Riskalyze link, you get a ton of valuable information. And, uh, you know, thanks for listening today. You know, let, let me know in the comments if you guys have other topics you want us to explore a little bit more. But I think it's very important to give that Rothschild uh, banking dynasty information out. And also, uh, you want to go to uh, check out G. Edward Griffin's book called The Creature from Jekyll Island, with Jekyll Island being J.P. Morgan's island off the coast of Georgia. So nothing to do with, like, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Mr. Hyde. And, uh, you know, that's, that's going to do it for us here. So coming live to you from Scottsdale, Arizona, thank you very much, and I'll talk to you guys later. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Libertarian Advisor podcast. If you want to support what we are doing, in addition to rating our podcast in iTunes and sharing our articles and links, please consider becoming a client of Focal Point Wealth Management. If you head over to our website at focalpointwealth.com, you will find timely articles as well as links to sign up for our newsletters as well as a link to find out what your risk number is. And you're probably wondering, what is a risk number? First off, there is no purchase required. You simply click on the link, enter the size of your portfolio, and after a few questions, we will be able to see how much risk you can handle on a scale of 1 to 99, with 99 being the highest. For listeners of this podcast, you can shoot an email to tim, T-I-M, at 
focalpointwealth.com where myself or one of my assistants can send you a secure email. If you want to find out how much risk is in your portfolio, along with how much your underlying fees are, what your stress test results look like, and much more, we'd be happy to show you your portfolio's risk number. Again, this is completely free, and whether you invest with us now or in the future, this is incredibly valuable information to have. Our goal is to put you in a portfolio that will be better suited for your goals and maybe save you some money too in the process. I spent a lot of time and energy fighting the globalists and central bankers and investing with people who hold your ideals and who are reinvesting our proceeds to expand our message and further promote liberty and freedom is a win-win all the way around. Lastly, we also have pre-built portfolios starting at just $5,000. You can find the links at focalpointwealth.com or the libertarianadvisor.com on the right-hand side. Look for Guided Wealth Portfolios banners. This is great for millennials who want access to an advisor if they need one, uh, but have the ability to invest without having to talk to one. Remember, at Focal Point Wealth Management, your future is our focus. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member of FINRA slash SIPC. Investment advice offered through Wealthcare Advisory Partners, a registered investment advisor. Wealthcare Advisory Partners and Focal Point Wealth Management are separate entities from LPL Financial. For a list of states in which we are registered to do business, please visit www.focalpointwealth.com. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Please consult with your advisor, tax, or legal consultant before making any investment decisions. Investing does involve risk, including but not limited to potential loss of principal.